We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Chag Sameach, everybody. What makes a sukkah a sukkah? It's not permanent. It's temporary. Can we unpack that a little bit? What does that mean? Yeah? Interesting. Uh, the light has to fill it. Anybody have a, have a difference of opinion with that? Good. So actually, there has to have to be more shade than there is light. Okay? So uh, it's supposed to be temporary. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's, although it's supposed to have a, a, a roof, a temporary roof, that provides more shade than light. Okay, now there is an alternative tradition that you have to be able to see the stars through it, but that's more tradition than halakha. Halakha, uh, the, the law is primarily focused on whether or not it protects from the sun, whether or not there's shade. So good. Okay, so it's gotta have shade. It's gotta be temporary. What else? Okay, so it's gotta have a certain number of walls. Um, uh, it ha- anybody know the minimum number of walls that it needs to have? What do you got? What are you doing? I don't know that hand gesture. What's up? They're my favorite sukkah teaching. Okay. Do you mind? A sukkah is like a hug. So it, their minimum requirement is two and a half walls. So if you stand like this and put your arm out to hug, that's your oh, minimum requirement okay. for sukkah. It's like a hug. Very nice. Okay. So two and a half walls. So some people said two, some people said three. Averaged it out. You guys got it. Okay. Two and a half walls. Uh, minimum two and a half walls. It could, it could be any shape though. I mean, it could be octagonal. It could be, it could have eight walls if you wanted it to have. Uh, but, uh, but it's got to have at least two and a half. Yes. Can it be round? Um, I got to think about that. I don't know. Yeah. Excellent. It's got to be outside. It's got to be outside. So, in other words, like Nancy said, it's got to have more shade than sunlight. It's got to protect from the elements, but it's also got to be out in the elements. So, what's interesting about a sukkah is that really it only protects you from one element, which is the beating sunlight. But it's open, it's exposed virtually to every other element. Rain, snow, cold, anything else, you're totally exposed in a sukkah, or almost totally exposed in a sukkah. Uh, sunlight, you're good. Okay, so it's got to be outside. If your sukkah is in your garage and there's another roof on top of your sukkah, right, it doesn't count as a sukkah. Um, good. Anything else? What makes a sukkah a sukkah? Right, so what actually makes the roof of a sukkah uh, is a, com- a core component of the sukkah. Okay, so the, actually the, the term sukkah comes from the verb sin kaf kaf, which lesachech. Uh, and so schach is what we call the roofing material of a sukkah. 
So it's, that's the essence of a sukkah, actually. I mean, if you want a technical answer to my question, what makes a sukkah a sukkah? The roof is what makes a sukkah a sukkah. It's not the point that I want to make, ultimately. But the, So we just have to like, suspend disbelief for a second. right? But the roof is what makes a sukkah a sukkah. Uh, so that means, by the way, if you have... Uh, and there is a, a hotel like the, the, the Waldorf Astoria in Jerusalem uh, is like this. They have this retractable roof on their atrium. So they can take out their normal roof and put schach over it on Sukkot, and it's a sukkah, right? It's got its normal walls. So you could have your walls up all year long if you wanted to, and just change the schach over every year, and you would have a sukkah. It doesn't have to be totally temporary. The only temporary part of it has to be the roofing, has to be the schach, that thing that protects you from one element, which is the sunlight, and leaves you exposed to virtually every other element, right? The schach. And so the schach um, has its own set of rules that govern what counts as schach and what doesn't. Anybody know what, what you can use as schach and what you can't use as schach? It's a hard word to say. I'm sorry about that. If I spit on you while I say it. Um, good. So it has to be, in, in the words of, uh, of the Talmud, it has to be gidule um, uh, karka. It has to be, have grown from the ground, but it has to no longer be connected to the ground. So it was once alive, and it, then it's no longer alive because you've taken it from the ground. So it has to be a, a, a living material, a natural material, uh, and uh, it has to uh, be taken off. So you can't, you know, um, put your sukkah underneath a palm tree and call that the schach. You have to actually cut off the palm branches. And I, in LA, everybody uses palm branches for their for their sukkahs, and uh, in is in Israel too, a lot of people do, right? So, what's that? No live ivy, right? Right. You can't like grow ivy. You, you can't like have lattice work on the top of your sukkah and grow grapevines on it or something like that, right? That doesn't count as as schach either. Has to be has to be cut off. Correct. You cannot let weeds grow in your garden all year. And I mean. You can cut them, yeah. You can cut them and then drape them over your sukkah if you want. Okay, good. All right. So we have a few core components. What makes a sukkah a sukkah? It has to have a minimum number of walls. Um, but essentially what makes a sukkah is the impermanence of the roof. The impermanence of a roof that protects you a little bit, but leaves you primarily exposed to the elements and it has to be outside, so you have to expose yourself to at least some of the elements by dwelling in a sukkah. There is one other core component of a sukkah, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, what makes a sukkah a sukkah. But I do want to just take a moment to note the essence, the message, the meaning of that impermanence, that imperfection that's embodied in the construction of a sukkah. There is a lot that one could say about the immediate connection in the calendar between Sukkot and Yom Kippur. And so much so that in Jewish law, there's a, a, a tradition that we should uh, begin building our sukkah uh, immediately following Yom Kippur, as close following Yom Kippur as we possibly can, um, uh, to run to do a mitzvah after Yom Kippur, right? But in some ways to connect Sukkot to Yom Kippur. 
If you think about what Yom Kippur is, what we do, what we practice on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is a day in which we practice at being angels. We live, in a certain sense, 24 hours of perfection. Right? We live uh, not needing food. I know a lot of people are hungry during Yom Kippur, but, the, but at least traditionally the sense is we don't eat not because we're harming ourselves, because who needs to eat on Yom Kippur? Right? So we, we don't eat, we have this state, this, this temporary state, this 24 hour state of perfection. We don't need any of our physical comforts. We don't, we don't have a desire for any of those physical needs. All we need is 24 hours of being with God. All we need is being with God. We're in prayer, we're angels, we're, we're, we're playing at perfection. And then immediately following Yom Kippur, we're supposed to build a model of imperfection. Something that in its very essence is temporary, unstable, leaves us exposed, impermanent. And I think that the juxtaposition of those two things is deliberate. To remind us that the world in which we live is not the world of Yom Kippur. The world in which we live is the world of Sukkot. We don't live in a world in which we are angels and in which those around us are angels. We live in a world in which sometimes we can do angelic things, but we also live in a world where there is so much brokenness and evil and pain and suffering and terror. We don't live in a world in which there is no need. We live in a world in which there is a lot of need. We don't live in a world in which we are protected by sanctuary. We live in a world in which we are exposed to the elements. And we have, all of us, seen all of the brutal realities of our world in all of those ways over just the past few days, couple of weeks. And so we can play at the permanence. We can play at the perfection on Yom Kippur only to realize immediately after that that's not the world that we live in. Sukkot is a holiday, a holiday that brings us back out into the world to remind us that this is the imperfect, this is the impermanent world that we inherit, that we embody, that we live in each and every day. This is the world that we encounter, and how do we live in that world? And so therefore, I think it's important to remember the final thing that makes a sukkah a sukkah that is unrelated or tangentially related to the other elements that make a sukkah a sukkah. So Sukkot involves in its very essence a reminder of the vulnerability of living, the imperfection of our world, our exposure to, uh, to, to challenge and turmoil and pain and, 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 uh, and elements in our world. But there is one other aspect of what makes a sukkah a sukkah that is, I think, a counterpoint to that. So if you, uh, if you were to look in the Torah at its description, it describes Sukkot in a few places. But in uh, the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, if you want to look, you can, page 730 in the Yitzchayim, I don't know where it is in the Hertz. But it says, it's uh, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 41, So uh, you shall observe it as a festival of the Lord. 
Shivat Yamim Bashana, David, we're not dwelling on that. Uh, seven days uh, a year. Chukat Olam Ledorotechem, it's an eternal uh, uh, law for your generations. Bachodesh Ashvi Tachoguoto, on the seventh month you should celebrate it. Basukot Teshvu Shivat Yamim. You shall dwell in Sukkot for seven days. Kol ha'ezrach b'Yisrael yeshvu basukot. All citizens in Israel shall dwell in booths. So what makes a sukkah a sukkah? You do. You make a sukkah a sukkah. And more than you as an individual, because a sukkah is not really, a, it's like the old uh, question of like if a tree falls in a forest uh, and nobody's around to hear it, does it make a sound? If a sukkah is built, but there's no one around to dwell in it, is it still a sukkah? And the answer, I think, according to the Torah, is no. What makes a sukkah a sukkah is that you dwell in it. And more than that, kol ezrach Israel yeshvu basukot. What makes a sukkah a sukkah more than you dwelling in it? is that everybody is brought in to dwell in it. Which is why, even though it's not halakha, I think an essential practice of Sukkot is ushpizin, is the tradition of welcoming in guests into the sukkah. Because what makes a sukkah a sukkah is that I dwell in it and I bring in community to dwell in it with me. And ultimately, therefore, I think is the message of Sukkot. That we live in an imperfect, impermanent, vulnerable world. We live in a world in which we are exposed to elements. We live in a world in which we are in, in some ways, a dangerous lottery. In which we could be walking down the street, we could be attending a concert, we could be on vacation on an island somewhere, and tragedy could strike. Sukkot reminds us that that is, in fact, the world that we live in. And then it says to us, The only way to live in such a world is with each other. By supporting and including and inviting and celebrating with each other. By holding each other. All citizens in Israel should dwell in Sukkot. It's not a sukkah unless you're in it and unless others are in it. The way we respond to the challenge of the world that Sukkot reminds us we are in is by remembering that we must be in it together. Chag Sameach.